good people and fellow students. Welcome to the first episode of All That Gas. A space for performance, craft, and showbiz. News and reviews will be flowing from music, film, content, and all that gas. It was sunny yesterday. Now, first of all, I just want to send the greatest of shout outs to Doshi, who allowed me to use the instrumental for what is possibly my favorite song to have been released since the Panini. I'm talking about Levitate, which is by Rojo featuring Huey from the Ephemeral EP. It is... If you're a fan of R&B, alternative, spiritual vibes, this is definitely a body of work to check out if you haven't. And yeah, I just wanted to say a great thank you for that, first of all. And welcome. <laughs> this is all that Yaz. Um, I am Yaz. My name is Yaz Njuguna. I also go by Yaz the Student on all social media. I like to call myself an entertainment enthusiast because I am enthralled by all things entertainment. And I do work within the entertainment industry. I am a filmmaker. I'm a curator. I've run multiple festivals, including the Broke Ass Showcase and Africa Rising International Film Festival's Digital Hub. I have a publication by the name of Next Gen Greats where we unpack the African space of entertainment from web series and digital content to music, film, general think pieces about specific events that happen within the Afri African entertainment industry. So for me, this is kind of like an extension of that and that within Next Gen Greats, there are specific conversations I didn't have the courage to have. And I use the word courage, I'm using that very loosely and that within a written medium, <sighs> I didn't like getting over, let's say, a thousand words, so a lot of my articles had to be very succinct in terms of their focusing on one idea and, and really pulling through on that one idea. And there are some ideas that are just so vast that you can't fit them into, say, a thousand words. You need a little bit more space. So this is a space where I'm going to be exploring some of those conversations, some of those topics. I have an array of guests who I'm really excited to talk with and explore different facets of our entertainment industry. I've got designers coming through, musicians, other curators, commentators. And yeah, the whole point of this is to talk about the content which we consume as well as the industry behind it and the unravelings which affect the content we consume. So if that's something which interests you, if that's something which you're all about, stick around as we go through all that jazz on all that jazz. Now our first segment today, which is probably going to be one of the most consistent segments on the show, both when I have guests and when I don't, is called On The Radar. Now On The Radar is where I'm going to be talking about upcoming films, upcoming music, upcoming pieces of content. So if you have screeners, if you have music which you want me to talk about before it drops, this is where I'm probably going to be talking about it. I already have an artist who has sent me music and I will be talking about that music today. So this is the space for upcoming stuff. Also if you have press release stuff, this is essentially where we're going to be doing the news-ish segment of what's coming up, what's hot, what's interesting. And on today's roster, we have 
Tron Pye, who has sent me a couple of songs that he's going to be releasing over the next month, and we're going to be getting into it. We're going to be getting into Tripping with the Kandasamis, Joda Hossi, as well as South African films, which are already at the cinema. But since it's the first episode, I still really wanted to talk about them or at least shed light on them, which would be Barakat and This is a Barrio. This is not a Barrio, it's a Resurrection. So let's get into it. So now starting off with our music, Jodo Hossi drops the lead single off of her upcoming EP called Sour Milk. Now the lead single is called I Miss You, which by the time this comes out should have already been out, which is quite a generic title, but it allows for a lot of emotive room, and Hossi has already proven herself to be quite the apt songwriter. Within both of her tracks, she's proven to have this ability to craftily throw snark and age-appropriate angst into her music, which I really, really love. If any of you have ever had a conversation with me about Jodo Hossi, you would know that I believe she gave us a pop song for the ages, which the truth is. I mean, she gave us a lyric with that song. When I talk about a song which is crossover, I'm talking about you could strip that song to its bare necessities, turn it into a country song, it would make sense. Turn it into a dance song, it would make sense. Turn it into a jazz, like an old jazz standard, it would make sense just with the way that she wrote it and the emotion that she sold that song with and just like the one-liners and the the creative way that she writes I, it's something which i'm really really excited about she has a lot going for her at just 18 and i do believe that the world is her oyster as a potential pop crossover act so i'm ready to hear what she has to bring with i miss you as well as sour milk which comes out on july 2nd so do check out i miss you which should already be out by the time uh, by the time this has already come out so give that a spin and then we have Muzi who's continuing his new era with the release of Need Dad. Now Muzi is the type of artist whose discography either hits for me as in hits hits or I'm relatively indifferent to it despite being able to appreciate how quality it is because on a base level it usually always is quality so last year's mama ep was probably in my top 10 projects of the year with just how personal it was and how majestic and breathtaking tracks like makosa were like this year's already he's already come out the gate this year with the ultra cool club reminiscent into blacktic and this week he's following that up with need that and one of my favorite things and things which i admire most about Muzi is his innate skill of being able to sonically immerse you within a specific feeling. So I'm interested to see what he'll be giving with his new track, which should already be out again by the time this is out. So if you're a fan of dance music, if you're a fan of alternative, definitely check him out. You know where to go. And our final music element for On The Radar are two exclusives that Tron Pyre has already sent to me. And from the information he's given me, one of them is coming out this month and the other is going to be coming out next month. And these tracks are vastly different. And the first song which he sent me was called JPEG. And the best way that I could describe the song or how I felt whilst listening to the song was like, this song is like a chilled glass of sangria on a mellow Sunday. So despite me saying that Tron is bringing a little bit more tempo than usual, I think this is actually one of his more temp 
for your tracks kind of like within the realms of like stay with una rams it's bringing in banging drums i think the drums are probably my favorite part of the song and he's exploring lower tones of his vocal range the song is a vibe it's different from his usual catalog and it's showing i think more of the landscapes he may want to travel so it's kind of like this bridging gap to kind of at least warn you that more is on the way from what he usually does for me it's a bit of a grower in that i didn't vibe with it instantly but i've been warming up to it with each new lesson between lesson one and lesson like six at lesson six i'm genuinely enjoying it and, and i can see what he's going for and i do I do like the song, but I definitely think it's a lot more contemporary and kind of crossover than what he usually does. Then the second song is called A Place For You. Now, just with that title alone, and if you know Tron Pai's music, I feel like there's an understanding that emotions are coming. But the best way I can describe this or how I felt listening to this the first time I heard it is Tron has a sniper aimed directly at your tear ducts whilst the instrumentation is throwing bombs at your spirit waiting for you to fold it's an emotional assault and this song is a trigger it's so triggering the song is a trigger this is sad tron this is music that you play whilst you're wallowing it's got the lullaby-esqueness that songs like false start has whilst at the same time it's got this atmospheric and ethereal-esque nature that reminds you of city of god so it plays very much into his already existing catalog but pushes it into new spaces and into jazzy spaces at the same time. So it is very much signature Tron. It is crying in the club. It's winter music. It is, it's not even crying in the club. It's just crying. But Tron came to abuse your emotions with the song. So if you like, like really emotional songs, almost Frank Ocean trigger level songs, Tron is coming with that. So he's he's giving you he's giving you a little bit of vibe, he's like giving you a lot of emotion. I'm very excited to kind of understand where else is going because from the ways explained what he wants to be doing is going to be giving different emotions and different types of vibes with each of the different songs he's going to be giving and it's not just these two there's an onslaught also coming but from these two it seems like he has a vision of growing his sound and also just cementing who he is as an artist and i do believe with these two songs as vastly different as they are they kind of show at least a bit of an ambition and skill to what's going to be coming i'm excited because tronis looks like he's going to be taking a lot of risks he is one of my favorite current local artists and indie acts currently out so i'm always excited to see how artists decide to grow their vision and also just grow their catalog and who it is that they want to be i'm always a fan of that yeah i'm i'm, I'm let's just say i'm really excited to see how this goes so that kind of wraps up our music session for our first all that yeah so if you do have music that you do want me to be talking about do email it to me in terms of upcoming music artists if you want me to be if you want me to be talking about your exclusives which have to be coming out just send them to my email at the next generation of greats at gmail.com or reach out to me on twitter i do want this to be kind of a place where people can get more news on upcoming so the more information you guys give me the better i'm able to make this specific segment let's make this as interactive as possible and now moving on to film and television in the world of film 
the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest film franchise that is not Schuster of the Last Decade, South African film franchise, drops its third film on Netflix by the name of Tripping with the Kandasamis. Now, if you've never heard of the Kandasamis and you're in film, I need you to study them because what they've been able to accomplish with, with their first two films alone at the box office needs to be studied from a marketing perspective and to understand exactly how it is to speak to your audience because their first two films both of them broke records that i have never seen broken like that in all my time looking at box office numbers week after week but i'll get into that a little bit after i've explained what the kandasamis are or at least the basic concept of it so the kandasamis as a film franchise is basically centered around these two families so this boy and this girl fall in love but the families that they're they're from a basically kind of Romeo and Juliet-esque in that they hate each other. If not necessarily the families hate each other, the mothers hate each other. These mothers have been together, I believe, since high school. One is a little bit bougier than the other, but they have this animosity that they can't stand each other. So when they find out that their kids are dating, they team up to find ways to get their kids to break up just so that they can maintain peace and maintain their animosity. So the entire franchise of this film is built upon the animosity, the comedic animosity between these two mothers and then their families as a whole. So you've got Kandasami keeping up with the Kandasamis, which is the first one, Kandasami's wedding, which is the second one, and then tripping with the Kandasamis. So that is the basic premise. Now, when it comes to the box office, Keeping up with the Kandasamis as the first Keeping Up with the Kandasamis managed to do something which within the South African box office, I cannot think of any other film that I've seen within the last six years do what it did. The trend, this is not just in South Africa, but worldwide, is that the first week of the box office is usually the most a film is ever going to make within a week span at the box office. So if your film debuts... With 4 million at the box office this specific week, usually the second week is going to have you at, let's say, 2.5 million. And then it'll probably drop again into the third week at 1.5 million and then steer the course kind of there if it is. You get a stabilization between week three and week seven, and then the film usually drops off after that, right? But the first week is always the highest week that you'll ever see a film make. Now, there are two films which I've seen within the last five, six or so years, which have not stuck to that in terms of the first week and the second week basically staying the same or even increasing. The first film was Black Panther, the second film was Keeping Up with the Kandasamis. Now, Keeping Up with the Kandasamis, where it even went past Black Panther, is the consistency of this. So the first week, I believe, this film grossed at 1.5 million at that weekend at the box office. During the week, <laughs> it doubled that. And then the second weekend, it had 1.6 million at the box office. Then the third week, it had 1.7 million at the box office. Now, these numbers individually are, for South African numbers, are actually really quite strong numbers. But what it kind of shows, and it, I think for the first four weeks, that's all it did. It was just growing 
week on week on week on week, which kind of speaks to that this film had some sort of word of mouth effect in that the first week that it came out, people watched it. They said, okay, I need to tell other people about it. Okay, I need to tell other people about it. Because those are the only times, even when you look at the American box office, that you see this kind of movement within the box office. So, for example, a movie like Get Out also had similar um, traction at the box office. A movie like Hidden Figures had similar traction in terms of a consistency in where it starts and building from that. Keeping Up with the Kandasamis is one of the only films I've ever seen, actually, from week one to week four, or at least week one to week three, continuously build upon its um, box office numbers. Then Kandasamis Wedding happened. Now, I've written an article about Kandasamis Wedding because... Within its opening week at the box office for a South African film, it broke and it sat within numerous amounts of records. So if you want to read that article, um, you can definitely find that article on Next Gen Greats. Just go onto the search bar and type in Kandasami's wedding or even just Kandasami's, the search bar will then direct you to that article. Now, I'm going to give you two fun facts about the Kandasami's wedding, just to kind of make you understand the phenomenon that this thing was. So the weekend it came out, Kandasami's wedding grossed 5.7 million rand at the box office, which remains the largest opening weekend for local film within the 2010s decade, unadjusted for inflation. Now, adjusted for inflation, it still comes, comes up around third, I believe, but in terms of just pure numbers, it was it was the highest sum of the entire decade. And then on top of that, Kandasami's Wedding had one of the highest local um, screen averages between 2018 and 2019. Now, the best way to, for me to describe screen averages is basic, basically to say, for the amount of screens that this thing was showing, how much it was selling out. So the higher the screen average is, the more packed the spaces were. So, for example, a movie like Aquaman had a 93,964 average per screen, which is basically saying how much an average screen that weekend was making off of purely the ticket sales from that film. Kandasami's Wedding had 110,000 average per screen, which means within that weekend, the screens that it was showing at were selling out more than Aquaman was when Aquaman came out. Again, the numbers, the only films which I could find within that specific span which were selling more in terms of selling out more were black panther infinity the the marvel behemoths which were selling 123,000 so this film wherever it was showing was such a phenomenon that the tickets were selling out like hotcakes which then brings a different question because i know for a lot of you you may not have heard of kandasami's wedding or keeping up with the kandasamis which is actually going to be one of the conversations which we're going to be going into or at least trying to explore with one of our guests about ubiquity in south africa and are we able to actually appreciate a ubiquitous moment or does ubiquity even exist for us to be able to understand that successes and the level of successes which are happening within the same industry within between different factions or why things aren't able to cross over or, or do things cross over or how are we able to understand when things cross over it's a conversation which i actually do want to explore with one of our guests and we are going to be doing that so you, you should stick around for that if that interests you but essentially both of these films were 
phenomenons within their own right, which is why I'm excited to see the third one because it's now on Netflix. So now it's a completely different metric to see are the same people who came to the first one and second one going to drive in droves to make this trend on Netflix? Is it going to have repercussions since it's now in a global audience? How is this film actually going to play now that it's on a different medium? So I'm very excited about that to kind of see how that's going to play. Content-wise, if I'm being honest, Kandasamis is not necessarily my favorite type of film or even my favorite type of comedy. It is very much an enjoyable comedy, but I've just come to accept that I get 50% of the jokes which are said within the actual movie. It is for the Indian community, so part of me believes that there are jokes which are completely flying over my head that I'm not entirely catching. So I support the film purely to support the film, not necessarily because I'm actually a fan of the film's content. It is for me an enjoyable film but it is not a great film but i am still very excited to see how it performs when it gets onto netflix what that means so if you are someone who wants to watch south african film tripping with the kandasamis premieres on netflix do definitely go check it out and study and just see what it is that it what this film does because i'm intrigued to see what happens at least hopefully within the next week to see if the audience that it built so nicely and so ravenously on cinema still transports itself onto Netflix. And then still keeping with, keeping up with films, I did mention that there are two films, current two South African films currently at the cinema. The one is Barricat and the second one is This is a Burial, Not a Resurrection. I will not lie to you, I have not watched Barakat, mainly because I'm currently within a broke phase, but it is tutored to be to being the first South African film that is both um, the first Muslim South African film that is within the Afrikaans language, and it is following this family that's trying to figure out how to move on after the death of their patriarch or their father. If you do want to have a family drama, comedy drama type of um, dramedy type of esque thing, this is definitely one to check out at the cinemas. And then we have This is a Barrel, Not a Resurrection, was Lesotho's first film to go up for the Oscars for so there's a category called Best International Film and it was the first time that Lesotho ever entered that race and they got so far into the race that they made it the top 15 from about 80 um, selections but then make the final cut of the final five. As a movie I do believe it's showing at a, a lot of the nouveaux I know it's at Rosebank and if you are someone who wants to explore African cinema I would definitely suggest that you go out and check it out. It is Mom Mary Twala's final performance and she gives a breathtaking performance but as well as that I do think also for people who want to understand more about rural life or farm economics this is a great film to watch because it brings you into that society and into the mechanics of that society but the basic premise of the film is, is essentially centered around Mom Mary Twala who is a grieving grandmother. At the beginning of the film we find out that her grandson has died which makes her the last living person within her family so we start with her grieving that loss and coming to that realization when the people from the city come to their specific town and tell them that they're going to be relocated and she doesn't want to be relocated because everyone she loves is buried 
on the grounds that she's been lived that she's lived with her whole life so the story revolves around them trying not just her but the community trying to first of all fight whether they, they can actually be relocated but also brings you into the mechanics of what actually happens when people are relocated i am going to say also it is a very slow paced film so if you're not one for slow paced films this might be a little bit hard for you but i do believe it is essential watching if you want to a explore african film african cinema or even just understand that very specific point of view because it is explored quite extensively. And I just want to clarify because I have been butchering this name and I realize I've been butchering this name. The name of the film is This Is Not A Burial, It's A Resurrection. This Is Not A Burial, It's A Resurrection. And that title is actually quite apt because it very much speaks to the themes and what is happening within the film. So do go check that out at cinemas. It's at most of the Cinema Nouveau's. I do know because I checked this week that it's still at Cinema Nouveau in Rosebank. It is definitely a cinematic film. I would not call it an enjoyable film, but it is very much a cinema experience and a very education and immersive experience for people. And that would be what's on the radar. So if you want me to, I do know that there are a slew of other releases which I haven't talked about and which I've probably missed. I know I've missed because I only talked about five things. So if you do want me to talk about your stuff, upcoming stuff or stuff about your favorite artists, do email me, tag me on um, on Twitter, give me the information well beforehand so I have time to kind of tabulate it. This specific section, I do want to make recurring within every episode because I do believe it's important for us to share more information about what is coming out so that we can make better informed decisions on what it is that we want to support in terms of African entertainment. So if you have screeners or presses, um, exclusives like Transcend Me, those will probably get my top priority if I really, really dig them or if I find them interesting, I'll definitely be talking about them. There's nothing that, that'll get me more than exclusives and screeners. But yeah, I do really want to make this more interactive. So if you're listening to this and you think I've missed something or if you want me to talk about something that's upcoming more, please do hit me up on Yaz the Student, which is Y-A-Z-Z the Student on all social platforms or just email me on the next generation of greats at gmail.com which is probably going to be within the description section now the great thing about all that yes as opposed to my other two podcasts which i've done which you should definitely check them out one is called african film and next gen greats is that this one i'm shooting and releasing a lot closer to when they're going to be released so for example african film i recorded 10 episodes of the 12 episodes which were released before we even dropped the first episode so there was very little wiggle room in terms of being able to get audience feedback to then put it into the show but this one i'm probably going to be shooting it or recording it the week of so that there leaves a lot more space for interaction for me to understand what you want from me and how you want it and now moving on to our second segment for this specific episode this is a segment i'm going to be calling that's the fave and this one is less interactive because it's about my personal 
taste in my personal opinions because I've gotten to a point where I can talk about things which I appreciate which may necessarily be things which I personally like or enjoy so for example this is not a bad it's a resurrection as a film I appreciate I believe it is a great film I do believe it's essential viewing for the story that is telling and for the type of film that it is but I'm not really a fan of how slow paced it is but I get the need for it to be slow paced for the type of story that it's telling doesn't mean that I enjoy it on a personal level so this section kind of just allows me to talk about things which I personally like my personal taste it may be weird it may be it doesn't have to be as academic it's just yeah, a space for me to kind of just be like, and this is what I like this week. Also allows me to talk about all the things which I may have not been able to ever talk about. So with this week, my faves are, in terms of music, there is a Praetorian rapper by the name of Miles who's recently released a body of work, but I'm also just going to be talking about him as an artist and what I find really, really great about him, as well as the Amazon Prime series, The Underground Railroad. Let's get into it. Now, for those of you who don't know, Miles is a rapper who's based in Pretoria, and thus far he has released two EPs or two bodies of work. The first one was called Early Arrival, which came out last year and arrived at number 11 on Apple's hip-hop album charts. And then this year, he's followed that up with We Gon' Be Good, which reached number 10 on the same charts. And for me, what I really, really like about him is that he is, first of all, a very versatile rapper. He is, he brings bars, he brings punchlines, he brings humor sometimes but first of all he has this husky tone um it's 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 quite unmistakable you can basically pick him up from anywhere with the mere tone of his voice but he is he feels like a very accessible rapper when i say he feels like a very accessible rapper he feels like the way he raps and the way he tells his story it feels like someone that you know and at the same time it feels like someone you could be friends with or want to be friends with and he's sharing these stories with you from that type of perspective so it feels like you're in that world with him as opposed to jumping and listening to that world i'm not sure if that's making any sense but that for me is one of his great skills or at least in the way that i connect with him and with his music so with we gonna be good it is a really enjoyable record for me in terms of it's filled with a lot of songs which have great replayability factor. For example, for you, it's definitely one of my favorites. Doshi delivers a great hook. Actually, I, I want to hear more of this Doshi in terms of Doshi on records. Uh, when I was doing research for something else, I also realized that Doshi was behind one of my one of the hooks of one of my previous favorite Miles songs, which is Trustworthy. Because in Trustworthy, he's there saying... I can feel your energy and don't know who to trust. So Trustworthy is also, in terms of within his entire catalog, Trustworthy is by and large my favorite song um, that he's released thus far. Uh, I still play it as if it came out yesterday. It has both great storytelling, a fantastic hook, um, chorus delivered by Rojo and Tyson ST, and that literal I can feel your energy seeps and into the background in a way that it just feels it, it it's both catchy but also gives that ominous feeling trustworthy for me is a fantastic song it really hasn't gotten old for me for you jaded and faded closer of miles's album featuring adrian Fu is also a really really um dope track it got me emotional um so 
he is he is very versatile in terms of being able to give very emotional storytelling as well as very easy listening storytelling and jams i'm just trying to find the name of i'm just trying to find the name of the adrian fu song sorry it is called Better Days. So on an emotional level, I do believe Better Days is one of the most comprehensive or the most comprehensive on the We Gonna Be Good body of work. Miles does deliver emotionally on that song. Adrian Fu delivers a, a, a great hook. And it he is he's a solid artist as a featured artist he delivers whenever he's um he's called upon to deliver featured artists in fact most of my favorite verses from him as an artist are usually as a featured artist but on top of that when him and tyson cybertelli him and tyson st get on a track together when they collaborate for me it just means magic is going to happen but thus far it's meant that magic's going to happen because they have an amazing chemistry together whether they're being braggadocious and they're bringing all that masculine energy and the confidence and everything on blah 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 too, too, too. Uh, faded and jaded they they really build off of each other in terms of momentum and even on like i mentioned trustworthy is my favorite song and part of the reason why trustworthy is my favorite song is because of tyson st's addition to it that hook because on top of the i can feel your energy the i need a handle all my life you know some of my fall in your arms and that's what you reassure me like the chorus the chorus is such a bombastic chorus. It's a, it's, it's a chorus that I love singing along to the verses and the way that Miles tells the story. So him and Miles, Tyson ST and Miles put together a recipe for magic. Miles as a, as himself is i think one of the more accessible at at least one of the most accessible rappers to me and that is why he is the fave so yeah if you haven't checked out miles you you can definitely check him out we gonna be good as well as early arrival and now moving on to the underground railroad now the underground railroad is fighting for my top series of the year thus far it is it is fighting i haven't finished it by the way so if you're listening to this as this podcast comes out don't be telling me spoilers about episode 9 and 10 i haven't gotten there because i've been taking my time with it to that point this is a show which i really wish came out weekly as opposed to all at once because it's such a dense show there's so much information to take in there's so much anxiety that it builds that i really think i really for a person like myself i think i would have enjoyed it a lot more being able to watch an episode and then go on twitter or go with a lot of people and then have conversations in the same way that we'd have conversations about insecure and game of thrones because especially within the first four episodes we're thrown with so much information not just about the characters of the show but about a history that you want to question that i really one of the main things that i i wish about the show was that it was more of a traditional rollout so that we could have a lot more in-depth conversation about them as each episode as opposed to a series as a whole which is kind of what i've been seeing now, if you haven't watched The Underground Railroad, it's available on Amazon Prime. I'm currently on my second free trial using someone <laughs> someone else's account so I can finish it. But the premise follows this girl by the name of Cora. It's said, like, 
I don't I don't think it I, I don't think it has a specific time, but it's definitely like the mid eighteen hundreds. That's kind of where I've been picked up. So it follows Cora. So Cora is a slave on a plantation within Atlanta. And within this specific plantation, Cora is very special. And I'm using the word special very it's not special isn't necessarily a positive thing specifically for experience but she is the daughter of the only runaway slave to have successfully run away from this specific plantation within that farm and her mother literally was able to run away from this plantation when she was still a baby like literally a toddler not even a, not even toddler age just baby baby so she has an abandonment complex about that there is a slave catcher who even comes to her to kind of make sure that she sees the daughter of the slave catcher and like it, it has repercussions for on the specific farm just because her mother was the one that got away. So some people look at her as good luck. Some people look down on her. She's special within that way. So the series follows Cora as she becomes a runaway and we follow her as she takes the Underground Railroad. So now within the context of the show, they've made the Underground Railroad an actual railroad as opposed to the secret type of communication which it was. And within this Underground Railroad, we get to go to different parts of the South and experience what it was like back then just to understand more of what was happening within history and for that story. So it's actually quite a comprehensive show. We get to see different parts of American history through Cora's eyes and her main antagonist is the slave catcher her mom, who got away from her mom. So this man, not only is this man adamant about catching a slave he's adamant about catching her because the slave can't I, I can't have both the mother and the daughter be both runaways there's there's there is an intrinsic desire to get Cora back to the Atlanta plantation so that's the basic premise of the show and the basic premise with which we enter the show and experience the show it is mainly through Cora's eyes but it is not solely through Cora's eyes this is very much an ensemble effort and one of my favorite things and possibly my most favorite thing about the show is how comprehensive it is in building its world and giving nuance to characters that I shouldn't say that I never thought about, but I've never seen on screen. And going into minute details and making you question things about history. So for example, the second episode, South Carolina, I think I paused about five times just to Google things and see when they started, what happened, because it gives you so much specific information about what was going on around that time and then you, you get you kind of now because the show is both fantastical and based upon real events for a person like me i then want to go and research to see is this part actually based upon real events and some of them really were so th there was that element to it but the contextualization for me was really one of the main factors in that the white savior complex doesn't exist within this body of work. Within a lot of the slave era films, and I don't even want to call this a slave film because it's not. It's not a slave series. It's following a runaway. But there are so many more characters that you get to meet, so many different dimensions that we get to explore that it is a series based upon the slave era as opposed to being just a slave type 
of, of plantation type of film. So I'm probably going to get to Cora last because I have a lot to say about Cora. Cora is a character played by Tuso, but Barry Jenkins really did a fantastic job in not just the world that he set, but in the ways that he would the way that he would bring context to characters in the mo- in the smallest of ways and in scenes which just from that one scene all of a sudden because you had this idea of this character he just with with literally one beat he he makes it even that much more real or he gives you a character that you hadn't thought about um one of my favorite characters within that regard would be Caesar Garner so Caesar played brilliantly played by Aaron Pierre is from the same plantation as Cora and he is a character who is hell bent on getting away from this plantation and getting getting to the north. So throughout the first episode, his entire purpose is to try and get Cora to leave with him because he believes Cora is the good luck because Cora's mother was the one who was able to get off of the plantation. Now, the contextualization that we're given of him is first of all he is a he's a black person, he's able to read, he's educated, but at the same time they give us the context that he is he is a queer person. The way that they give you that specific bit of information contextualizes just how much trauma a gay person or a person who is queer had to have gone through within that specific era because slaves, specifically slaves on this plantation, were put together to breed more slaves. So if you weren't breeding with the people that you were that you were assigned with, then you would get punished. So they contextualize even something like that and the moment that we realize that he's queer is within a scene where he's being forced to do this and the person that he's matched with is kind of giving us that information and it contextualizes everything else about the way that he's moving and why he may want not just why he may want freedom but an added aspect to what freedom can give him and just how much more even when we get to South Carolina, the way that he moves there, his his ability of the way that he's perceptive and how he is perceptive is something which I thoroughly enjoyed and was thoroughly um, impressed by. Then you also have Homer. Now Homer, <laughs> oh, every time Homer comes on screen, he is Homer is essentially the the Uncle Ruckus. Is he is what? I would imagine a young Uncle Ruckus or what Uncle Ruckus grows to, if not Uncle Ruckus, similar Uncle Ruckus type characters. But the the way that they contextualize him, again, also in South Carolina, South Carolina might actually be my favorite episode of the entire series, but he's given a scene which is not more than 30 seconds long within South Carolina in that he is this... He is a slave catcher within himself. So wherever the slave catcher is, he's a slave catcher's assistant. Now the slave catcher is played by Joel Edgerton. His name is Arnold Ridgway. And Arnold Ridgway is basically like a father to him. As this white father, he is, um, Homer is protected in a lot of ways. We see him continuously protected by the Ridgway character. For example, we see a scene where he's going into a bar where black people aren't allowed and Ridgway sticks up for him. So you have this, this cultivating, but at the same time, he's a character whose sole job is to catch black people. So he has this positive image of a white person and this negative image of black people. Not negative image, but every scene that we see him in, 
specifically within the plantation and i believe this is very intentional he is by himself we do not actually see him communicating or actually having proper communication or proper engagement with black people whilst he's on the plantation all he's doing is looking and being a watchdog so we don't see him having any engagement with black people his um main person who he engages with who's like a father figure to him is a white person whose job is catching slaves and in one scene for 30 seconds he's just standing by himself in south carolina and south carolina is a place where they've now at this specific point in time this is this is actually quite spoilery in that they've allowed uh, black people the ability to read black people um are now in suits so they're he's seeing black people in a light that i don't think he has seen them before and if he has we've not seen him see black people within that light in terms of dressing quote-unquote proper and being able to go to shop having a little bit more liberties than what they're known so within the scene he's literally by himself without anyone and he is reciting a phrase to himself that negroes are of a devilish or the spirit they're of a devilish and the spirit i'd actually i need to find the phrase but even by himself he's indoctrinating himself kind of almost feels like to make sure that he knows what he's here for because again the person who sticks up for him the most is a white person and he's devoid of connection and engagement as an 11 year old character this kid this kid can't be older than he's not a teenager yet so even in that one scene it contextualized for me and nuanced a character like homer and how someone like an uncle ruckus can come to be and i say uncle ruckus but just that type of black character i've not seen that type of nuance specifically within these types of shows so that's one of my um the things which i enjoyed most about it and the further into the series you get the more of these characters that you're able to kind of encounter and get reasons as to why they're like this if not get reasons get a empathetic perspective that it gives great empathy to characters in ways that films and shows that i've seen prior to this do not give as much empathy and insight into why or when or this the other thing which i thoroughly enjoy specifically within the first three episodes is that the white savior complex is is knocked down i don't think there is an entire character who actually fits the white savior as we've seen white saviors within this specific era the the white people who are trying to help are flawed the way that the ones who believe that they're doing the right thing don't have all the answers and that's a great thing because it was showing that this was a thing which was not just oh the white people gave black people slavery which is which we all know is a is a myth but when you watch these films you kind of get that you have the good white and the bad white and the bad white is so horrendous that the good whites can be like oh i'm not that type of white so that even piece of contextualization is something which i was thoroughly enjoying it's it's within all of these tiny little moments that you kind of get to understand all of these characters south carolina in and of itself in terms of history was bringing in things which are still relevant today like how it came to be that tube tying was a as a as a process um there's this thing um of within south africa of grandpa cakes and they fixed that grandpa cakes being reliant on those types of things 
the reliance on those types of things of how it even starts or how it can start is shown within um, South Carolina and it's explored. So this is a show which, first of all, brings empathy to these characters. On top of bringing empathy to these characters, brings you brand new information, which you then want to dig into if this is not something that you have thoroughly researched your whole life, because... This is not this is not information that someone like myself is taught within schools. So getting this type of access to think about should I be asking these questions because I've not even thought about these types of questions, scenarios, and things about this specific experience. A show like The Underground Railroad does that in spades, and that is part of why. Also, I really wanted it to be a weekly. I really wish it came out weekly so we had enough time to properly talk because right now I've based I've based my thoughts entirely on about three or, um, three or four episodes. When there are nine episodes, the eight episodes that are currently watched and there's never going to be enough time to actually go through all of the content in one specific setting. So I hope that I do actually get type, more time to dive into the other stuff. But then... I can't talk about the Underground Railroad without talking about Tusum Bedu and Korra. Now, the way that I understand the character of Korra is that she is a character who is searching for humanity within places that don't see her as human. And we go through this journey with her of her searching for this humanity, for places of joy, for places of not just surviving, but being able to thrive and being seen as a full being and Tuso is a force of nature playing this role the amount of story and the amount of emotion that she has to encapsulate playing this role because for the first four episodes it's almost like not even the first four the first five first six episodes every episode feels like when we jump into the next episode Cora is almost an entirely different being than what she was before her character is always progressive so the first episode it's her as within the plantation and how she feels then when she gets to south carolina she learns how to read and she also starts being able to we see her being critical of things which aren't necessarily just about survival but looking towards the future the character is always the the the, the one key key trait which I can see between her character and some of the other characters is not just the key to survival but being able to look to the future and see where is this headed for me so that's why I'm saying she's looking for the humanity for herself in places that don't see her as human even a lot of the white characters when I was talking about the white savior trope um not necessarily being in in this um, in this body of work, a lot of the white characters who are even trying to help the black characters, you can see it within them and within the way they speak and within the way that they interact with the black characters. Most of them, despite their best intentions, and some of them don't even have good intentions, do not see black people as human beings or as as beings and it and it comes in the way that of, of their interactions and it comes with the way that she's perceptive of that and not just her but the other characters so her journey is really as we're going through place to place her trying to figure out not just how am i surviving how how is this going to work for me in the long run and Tuso and and just looking for humanity looking for little moments and Episode one is probably one of the only episodes which I probably won't return to just because of how dark it is. But Tusa is able with her eyes, with her body movement to give you so much and bring you into 
into the world that Cora see into the way that Cora sees the world from the wonder the, when she first leaves the plantation to fear to saying you know what I can't stand this anymore sometimes it's not even through dialogue my favorite scene one of the scenes which I think I watched about at least 10 times over and over and over again is when she is she I'm trying to find a way to say this without fully spoiling whatever's happening. But she has been trying to communicate with a single person. She 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 needs to talk to this person. And then something happens and she laughs. And the laugh which she gives doesn't just give of joy. Joy, surprise, grief. There's so much encapsulated in a lot of the minute things that she does within the performance that is just breathtaking that you just want to watch again and again and again and again Tuso is she is she is powerful within this role she's brilliant she is a lot of things she has so much that she has to encapsulate and she's so strong that even when you see moments moments where she becomes guarded you can see her brain trying to work out is this something that is that is going to work out and the journey with Cora that is her props but also i believe every actor in this came to play chase dylan um <laughs> chase dylan as well for me he is a monster aaron pierre the whole cast of of performers the cinematography the way that they're able to make you the scoring oh my gosh the scoring is able to kind of get you into the fantasy when things are going fantasy like Bar barry jenkins produced a body of work which for me i think when i started this i'm talking about faves a lot of content which is which is centered around historical black trauma tends to be content which I can watch, respect and understand its value, but not necessarily enjoy and want to come back to after I've watched it that one time. But this is definitely something which I can see myself coming back to to unravel just a little bit more because of the nuances, because Barry Jenkins, the cast, the crew, everyone also finds, tries to find those moments, even though these characters are in places where they're not being seen as human. They give us those moments of humanity, those moments of joy. They bring us into just them being, despite their circumstances. And that's what I really, really appreciate about the Underground Railroad as a period piece that's set within the time that it's set within. It is educational. It is enthralling. It is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot of things. And I am going to try and finish it before... My next free trial, as long as load shedding does not get in my way. But yes, that is why the Underground Railroad is also part of my faves for this week. And that is where I'm going to be ending our very first episode of All That Yes. I hope you guys have enjoyed yourself, or at least you've been able to take something from my perspective of how I've seen the various pieces of content. Um, a lot of our episodes going forth are going to have guests, so I just really wanted to have an episode where my perspective and my voice you guys get to understand me how i think and all the all those types of things so i do hope that you've enjoyed yourselves before i leave i would like to send a few more thank yous specifically i already said thank you to doshi for allowing me to use his song i also want to thank physique who is the producer of one of the other songs which have been used which is called energy it's also one of uh it's a pop song that i really really enjoy and really love do check it out with the full vocals as well as oshoku who helped 
me craft the logo and um, is going to be helping me with the brand design of the show. A great thank you to you for listening and getting this far. Let me know how you found this episode. Hit me up on the socials again, which is Yaz the Student, Y-A-Z-Z the Student. If you have music that you want me to look into for on the radar if you have shows whatever it is that you want you can hit me up on there let me know how you found the content which we've spoken about on this episode if you've interacted with some of the content also let me know what type of guests you guys might might want me to reach out to i can't necessarily say i'll be able to get them but i will try my best um depending on what the the feedback that you guys give me is and that is where i'm going to be ending the first episode of all that jazz i hope you have enjoyed all that jazz that i have brought to you this week and if you have please please do share it with a friend and also let me know how you found it i hope you have an awesome rest of your morning afternoon evening or whatever time it is that you're listening this to i shall see you within the next two weeks with the next episode